Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. When they said, The God of Hebrews Hebrews has met with us, please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier heavier work be laid on them, that they may labor at it and pray no regard, pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in the hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. 
Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Uh, Sometimes in life, things just go downhill, don't they? They go from good to bad, and from bad to worse. And that's something of what we see in uh, the the passage of the Bible that we've had read uh, to us just now. Things go from good to bad, from bad to worse. And I hope that today we're going to be able to have a look and and see and learn from the Scriptures how we should respond as things go from good to bad and bad to worse in our lives. But I'd I'd love to start with a story about a girl called Grace who goes to a a church uh, where some of my friends are ministers. She's she's a teenager, she's doing her GCSEs. And and she's living her life as uh, as a good Christian witness. She's at school trying to love everyone as well as she can. She knows they're made by God and so worthy of love. Uh, It doesn't matter whether they're Muslims or or whether they agree with her or disagree with her. She's just trying to love them and share Jesus with them. She invites them to youth group and things like that. And so her experience of school is like most Christian teenagers. It's a bit, be a bit rough around the edges. You know, you, you say, no, I think God made the world and everyone in science laughs at you. And you get the sort of, uh, God botherer, sort of that sort of stuff. So it's, it's a bit tough. But last year, things got really hard for her when it came to Pride Month. Around that time of year, it became clear that she believed what God said about sex and marriage. That is, that sex is to be within marriage and marriage is between one man and one woman. And things got really much harder for her. The insults came thicker and faster. She was excluded from more things. And one day, some girls in her class invited her up to the AstroTurf. So she went. And there they just piled in. You hate people. You're a homophobe. You're a transphobe. And then they got a Bible out and they burnt it in front of her. School obviously did nothing. But for her, things went from kind of like, okay, 
to, to bad, and then from bad to worse. How's she meant to cope with that? What do we have to say to her? How do we help Grace? What does the Lord have to say to Grace? This morning, in chapter 5, we're going to see that things go from good to bad and bad to worse. And we're going to hear in chapter 6 how God responds, what he thinks his people need to hear. And, And my prayer is that we will learn how we're meant to live. Mistakes to avoid and things to do, things to know, as things go downhill for us sometimes. Let's pray. Ask for God's help as we do that. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be our teacher. We ask that by your Spirit, the same Spirit that has the, had these words written, you might reveal yourself, you might teach us, that you might make the words that I say into your words so that they might achieve your purposes in our lives. Amen. Right, well, let's set the scene then. If you were here last week, you'll have heard that God met Moses in the burning bush. He, he came and he said, I have come down. I've heard, I've seen, I know the sufferings of my people. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to bring them out from the affliction of Egypt. And I'm going to bring them up into the promised land. I'm going to go to war with Pharaoh and rescue the people. And then he said, and Moses, I'm sending you to do it. Moses responds with all sorts of questions. Who am I? Who am I that you would send me, the the shepherd of Midian, into conflict with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? But God says, don't worry. I will be with you. Moses says, all right, but who are you? (laughs) And God responds with, I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. I am the one who is unchangingly the same, past, present, and future. I'm the one who has life in and of himself. I am independent from everything else in existence, so I do not change. I cannot be knocked off course. I am unshakable. I am unbreakable. I am with you. There are some more questions, but in short, Moses takes God's answer, and he gathers up his family and heads to Egypt. And he and Aaron get to God's people and they say to God's people what God has told them to say. And, he sh- and they show them the wonders, the, the staff into a snake, the hand leprous and then not leprous, the water into blood. And the people believe. If you take a look at chapter 4, verse 31, just the verse before chapter 5. We hear what the people do. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, when they heard God was with them, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. How would they have felt then? How would everyone have felt then? Well, great. God's with us. He's come to visit us. He's going to rescue us. He's going to take us out from oppression and lead us to the freedom of the promised land. How good. Moses and Aaron, optimistic. It's working. I wasn't sure it would, but God's with us, so it's working. And so, chapter 5, verse 1, they skip into Pharaoh's throne room. And they say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. And from then on, it goes from good 
to bad and bad to worse. Let's take a look at Pharaoh's response. Verse 2, who is the Lord? I know who I am. I'm the king of Egypt. Who's this? Who's this that I should listen to him, this little God, this God of the Israelites? Who's he? Why should I listen to him? No, I won't let you go. No way. It's here that battle lines are drawn. Pharaoh says, no, I won't listen to you. And from here for the next seven chapters, uh, maybe even more, up to chapter 14 probably, we see God very clearly making himself known to Pharaoh that he would listen to him and let his people go. But Pharaoh's response doesn't just stop with who's this and that's the end of it. We see that, well, in verse 7, it gets much worse for God's people, the Israelites. In verse 7, Pharaoh calls the taskmasters, the slave drivers to himself, and he says, these people, you must make them build bricks without straw, but don't reduce the number of bricks they must make. What does that all mean? Well, it turns out that the job that the Israelites had was to build bricks. They were to take clay and mud from the Nile, and they were to mix it with the straw. The straw helped make the bricks solid, and they wouldn't crumble up. Their job was to then put those in the sun and to bake them, and that's the bricks that they make. But what Pharaoh is saying is now, don't give them all the materials they need. They've got the mud, but instead of us giving them the straw, they must go and collect the straw for themselves and build the same number of bricks as they used to. So he's increasing their workload, maybe 100%, maybe even more, but not reducing how many bricks they need to take. It's an impossible task. And so the taskmasters, the slave drivers in verse 14, when the people of Israel cannot make the bricks, they beat the foreman. They beat the men that they've put in charge of the other Israelites. They beat them black and blue. The foremen go to seek justice. They go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, the problem isn't with us. We're working hard. Your slave drivers, they're driving us too hard. And then Pharaoh's response, verses 17 and 18, it's wicked. No, no, it's because you're idle. You're idle. You're lazy. That's why you go ask to go and sacrifice to God. No, you keep working and you will be given no straw, and you must make the same amount of bricks. That's what Pharaoh says. It's that despotic, wicked, evil response. And in that moment, the foremen realize, they realize that it's, it's from on high, it's from Pharaoh that they've been punished, and it seems to be they're being treated so poorly, it seems to be that the thing that's really got his goat, that's made him do it, is this request. This message from Moses that they could go and sacrifice to the Lord. I wonder how they felt then. You know, it was just a chapter ago, they were so optimistic, so excited. The Lord is with us, he's going to rescue us. And here, just moments later, good to bad, bad to worse, beaten black and blue. I thought God was going to be with us. I thought everything was going to get better. I thought, I thought that's what was going to happen. And instead... I wonder if any of us had that experience this week. 
If we came out of church on Sunday thinking, God is with us. That was one of the big things that we heard from him, didn't we? God is with us. And yet maybe it was Monday, maybe it was Thursday, I don't know. But on the way, something went wrong. The diagnosis came in. An argument blew up. We took heat for following Christ. I don't know what it was, but maybe you thought, I thought you were meant to be with me. I thought this was going to get better. What are we to do when life goes from good to bad and bad to worse? Well, the foreman actually, the foreman and Moses start by showing us what not to do, I think. They, they get involved in the blame game. Uh, the foremen start by blaming Moses. They blame the message and the messenger. If you take a look with me at verse 21, they say to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. You've given them an excuse This request to go and worship God. An excuse for them to treat us so badly. They blame the message and the messenger. That's not really why things have gone wrong. There's nothing wrong with the messenger. Moses isn't a bad messenger. Moses is the messenger that God has chosen. And there's certainly nothing wrong with the message. The message is a message of freedom and life and flourishing. It's to to take us out of slavery and into freedom. To take us from burden to rest. To take us out from the yoke of slavery. To take us to the promised land. That's the message. That's a one of life and flourishing. There's nothing wrong with the message. The problem is with Pharaoh and his response to the message and the messenger. You know, for someone like Grace, as she looks at the Bible burning in front of her, it would be very possible for her to think, the problem is me. I've not been nice enough. I've not been good enough. My words haven't been smart enough or clever enough. If only I was a better messenger. Or perhaps she could think, the problem is the message. Maybe if I just change the message. Maybe if I cut out those bits. What would you want to say to Grace? You'd want to say, no, Grace, you're a great messenger. You're the messenger that God's given them. And the message, there's nothing wrong with the message. It's God's truth. It's a message of life and flourishing and goodness. Don't change the message. No one has the right to change the message, even if they do wear a bishop's hat. You know it's true. So when things go from good to bad and bad to worse, don't And it's because of standing for Jesus. Don't blame the message. Don't blame the messenger. But Moses also, I think, responds. He responds in the blame game too. He responds by blaming God for doing evil. Do you see that there in verse 22? His response isn't entirely bad. He immediately responds in prayer. That's very good. Um, he, He responds by asking why. That's also good. That's something that happens in the Bible all the time when things go back, go wrong. Why God? How long God? What's going on, God? Why this thing, God? But you see, I think he goes a step far as he says this, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? It is true that God does not ever do evil. Think about it. He's unchanging in his nature. He doesn't change. In eternity past, 
He has never done evil. He was just the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, and all in the love of the Spirit. He's never done any evil. In, in eternity future, he will never do any evil. So he's certainly not doing any evil now. God never does evil. Moses is wrong to say, God, why have you done this evil? And yet, it's a question that does rise up, doesn't it? We do think, God, why are you doing this bad thing to me? When things go from good to bad and bad to worse. And it's a particularly pertinent question in the book of Exodus. Because the problem is Pharaoh's response to God's message. And Pharaoh's response to God's message is all about his heart, isn't it? And some of us will know that that is a very vexed question in the book of Exodus. What's going on with Pharaoh's heart? Why does he reject God's message? Just to <clears throat> There are places where it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so we might assume, well, if God hardens Pharaoh's heart, then that's not Pharaoh's fault. In fact, that's God's fault. So it is God that's doing the evil, right? We might think that. But let me just show you, well, at least one way of making sense of this. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 19, God tells Moses, Pharaoh won't listen. Uh, we'll send him the message, but Pharaoh won't listen unless I make him listen. And then just a chapter later, God says, when you tell him the message, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Uh, let me try and give you one explanation as to how these two things can be true at the same time. Uh, the Women's Bible Study have been taking a look at the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, it says this three times. The Lord handed them over to their evil desires, talking about people running into sin. It says it three times, again and again and again. It's, the picture that's being painted is that people are bent after the fall against God. They love to sin. They love to do evil. That's the direction that they want to go in. And it's as if God has been restraining them, holding them back from the evil that they could do. In fact, that is what God is doing. None of us are as evil as we could be. God graciously, kindly restrains us from the evil that we could do. And yet at a point he decides, I will remove my restraint. And they run headlong into the evil that they choose. Pharaoh is an example of that. His, his natural desire is to refuse God, is to have a hard heart, not to listen to him. But God has been restraining his evil. And then removes his arm that Pharaoh might run headlong into the evil that he chooses. As it says, God hardens his heart. What we're seeing is God's removal of his restraining grace. That is not to say, though, that God isn't in charge of these things, that God hasn't willed the unfolding of this story. He has, but not for any evil purpose. Just a few chapters ago in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, we hear on the lips of Joseph this extraordinary thing as he speaks to his brothers. His brothers who desired his murder, who sold him into slavery and, and willed his death. He says to them, you intended this for evil. But God intended this 
for good. The same action intended by one for evil and by God for good, intended by him, but intended for good. And actually we see that most clearly at the cross. I wonder if you've ever known that. That Satan intends the the cross to destroy God and his people. The Jewish leaders intend the cross to destroy Christ's ministry. The, the, the Romans intend the cross to, to pacify the baying mob. God intended the cross. It was his will to crush him so that we might be forgiven. So that our humanity might be remade. So that we, he might free all creation from its groaning and we might enter the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Do you see the same thing willed? Willed by God. Willed by one for evil. Willed by God only for good. And so please can we hold on to this. It is hard to hold on to when things go from good to bad and bad to worse. Someone may be willing that for bad. But God's intention, God's intention through those times, it's not out of his control. He's not surprised by it. Even the worst days of our lives are intended by him for our good. Through fiery trials, our pathway might lie. But God's only design is our dross to consume and our gold to refine. What does God think that his people need to hear as their days go from good to bad and bad to worse? Well, that's what we get in chapter 6. In chapter 6, we hear God's answer. And he moves everyone's eyes off of the situation and up onto himself. The focus goes straight to him. This is the thing that he thinks they need to hear. This is his answer in short. You will be my people. I will be your God. And I, the Lord, will do it. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says to Moses, now you're going to see. Now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you're going to see us go to battle. In verses 2 to 5, the Lord doubles down on his covenant promises that he's made in the past to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I've made this covenant. I will get you to the promised land. That should be enough. God makes a promise. God never breaks his promise. But he actually says something else here. He says to them, I appeared. He says to Moses, I appeared to them, but I didn't make myself known to them by my name, how I have to you. It's as if what he's saying here is, I promised to them that should be enough. But I've gone to all the bother of introducing myself to you personally so that you might really know who I am. Why would I then back out on my covenant promises to you? I've made myself known to you so that I might be your God and you might be my people. I'm sticking with you. I will get you to the promised land. Of course I will do it. And then God gives his message to the Israelite people 
that Moses is meant to say to them. And he gives it to them in, uh, him in verses 6 to 8. And we're just going to read through it here to hear what he says. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. It's as if he's signing his name so clearly. He's, he's linking inextricably, irrevocably his name to this act of rescue. I will bring you out. As, as, as much as my name be the Lord, I will bring you out. If I don't bring you out, I'm not the Lord. But he is the Lord. He is unshakable. He is unbreakable. Nothing can knock him off course. He will bring them out. What does God think his people need to know when things go from good to bad and bad to worse? He thinks they need to know the destination, where they're going. And he thinks they need to know that he will get them there. It's as if he's saying, get certain. Get certain about what I will do. Get certain about where I will take you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will do it. He thinks it's far more important that they know the destination and that he's going to get them there than it is that they know the details of the, the directions of the journey. He doesn't tell them very much about that at all. But what he is emphatic about, what he, what he repeats again and again and again, is that he will get them to the promised land. That's what you need to know. Now, why is that useful to them? Why is that useful to them? Well, it, it's so that no matter what happens on the journey, they might be equipped to stick with the journey. So we've got this shape. God has promised that he's going to come down, that he's going to rescue them from slavery, and that he is going to bring them out. He doesn't, hasn't told them all about the journey. We know what the journey is going to be like. It is going to be a hard journey. There's going to be plagues and judgment and Passover and Red Sea and spies and sin and rebellion and war and wandering and fear. There's going to be all sorts of stuff along the way. But what he's telling them that they need to know for every step of the way is that you will be my people. I will be your God. I will get you there. This is where they are on the journey. They're right at the start. The journey hasn't unfolded before them. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. But what they need to know as things go from good to bad and bad to worse is that he will get them there. If we were to talk to them now, what would we say? We come on the other side of the Exodus. So we know. We'd say, we know the end. You get there. Keep going. Don't give up. It's going to be bumpy. 
But you will get there. You will get to the promised land. You will cross over the verge of Jordan. You will get there. And the whole way, do you know he's going to be with you? He'll lead you in pillars of fire and pillars of cloud. He's going to meet you on the mountain. He's going to speak to you. He's going to be with you in the tabernacle. He will be there with you and you will get there. He is your God. You are his. We'd say keep going. Now we also know that the book of Exodus isn't just a book about what happened in the past. That's not what this is. Though it is a book about what happened in the past, it's also a book that tells us what our salvation is like today. So what does this say to us? What does this say to us as as our days go from good to bad or bad to worse? Well, I think it's telling us that we need to get sure, get clear on where God is taking us and what he and that he will do it. Let's take a look at where we are. This is this is the same picture, isn't it? This is what we've been promised. God the Son has come down, the Holy One has come down. And he's come down to rescue his people from slavery to sin. And through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has. And in his resurrection, we actually see the very first fruits of the place where he's taking us, the new creation. The place where there'll be no sin and no death, no suffering anymore. We see him, a life that will never be stained and and affected by death again. That is our future. That is where he promises to take us. The Bible is full of those promises, actually. John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. What do we need to know? We need to know where God is taking us, and that he will do it. And you know, we're in a much better place than they are. Where are we in our bit? We're there. For them, the rescue hadn't happened yet. They hadn't had Passover. They hadn't got through the Red Sea. They hadn't done those things. But for us, the great act of rescue has happened. Our Passover lamb has been slain. He's already defeated death. He's already brought in the new creation. It's already begun. All we're waiting for is for it to be finished. For him to return, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. And to bring us home. And through every day that we have that goes from good to bad and bad to worse, it will never get worse than him taking us home. Ever. And he will do it. You know, the the faithful men and women of the Exodus who trusted the Lord. I take it that they're with God now. They're part of that great cloud of witnesses that we hear about in the book of Hebrews. What would they say to us as our days go from good to bad and bad to worse? I think they'd say, keep going. He's faithful. He is the Lord. He will do it. He will get you through. The journey might be rough. It might be, there might be lots of down days, but he has sworn to you that you are his and he is yours and he will do it. He will get you 
through. And he's with you on the way. Not to make every day easy, just like he didn't make every day of their journey easy, but to keep us that we might keep trusting and get through. What difference does it make that the Lord is with us? He is with us to keep us going with him. His spirit is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing that we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Guaranteeing that we are, it is impossible to separate us from his love. When Grace came back to church the next day at youth group, it was actually that evening, I think. She came and she cried to her youth minister. It had been a down day, a bad day. And a youth minister said all the, I'm sure he said all the right things. I've had a conversation about it. He was just saying, you keep going. It's rough now, but God hasn't, Jesus hasn't promised us anything else but roughness now. But he is with you. Keep going. There's nothing wrong with what you've said. You're doing the right thing. Keep going. He will get you through. There is going to be a day where all these tears are going to be wiped away, Grace. That new heavens and the new earth, you will get there. And she responded to him in an unbelievably brilliant way. Because she actually said, I'm not crying because I'm sad. Well, not about me anyway. I'm so sad for them. I'm crying because they need to know what's true. I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me for them? Oh, what a girl, eh? (laughs) What a girl. She knows where she's going. She knows how good it is. She wants to share it with everyone. In her hard days, she is keeping trusting what the Lord has said, that she is his and he is hers, that he will get her through to the new heavens and the new earth, and that he will be with her every step of the way. And that is what we need to know too. Let's pray. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I am the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask that you might teach us that so deeply that we are yours and you are mine. Uh, We are yours and you are ours. And we ask that you would give us that sure and certain hope of the destination that you are drawing us to, that we might, through the up days and the down days, keep trusting and knowing you're with us every step of the way. Amen.